Hello everyone and welcome to Education Checkup. I'm Johnette Magner. We are a weekly podcast here at KTBS and we cover what is happening in education in Northwest Louisiana. I am joined today by my co-host, Dr. Philip Roseman. He is a cardiologist by occupation, but he is here as a champion of education in Louisiana. He is a former board chair of the LSUS Foundation and has been named LSU Shreveport Pilot of the Year and Alumnus of the Year. And if I went through his entire resume, we would not have any time for our guests. <laughs> so welcome Dr. Roseman and please introduce our special guest today. All right, well we're gonna do something a little bit different today. Uh, we're, we always talk to the administrators and the leaders. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we forget to talk to the teachers about education. And today we're gonna talk to two great teachers designated as great teachers by the, the, the leadership in Caddo Parish. Uh, we have Christy Nettles here from Summerfield. She's a first grade teacher. So you know she's got to be somebody that you can really love because <laughs> everybody loves a first grade teacher. And we have uh, Jessica Herbert, who's from Donnie Bickham, uh, and is a science teacher at uh, Donnie Bickham. And uh, we just thought we'd just kind of talk a little bit about teaching, mm -hmm. a little bit about, you know, what makes a great teacher, um, you know, because uh, we all have had one. I know mm -hmm. Johnette's had one. Sure. I've had several, you know, those I'm people that have- I'm attempted to be one. <laughs> 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 well, good, you're further along than I am then. Yeah, but uh, we always think about those people that have a special place in our lives, and I suspect that you, you two are making a great impact on a lot of lives, and we're very thankful of that. But let, let me get started just to ask you a little bit about yourself. First, when did you decide you wanted to be a teacher? <clears throat> I'll go first. Um, I grew up in a home with uh, a mom that was an educator. She um, taught middle school math and um, watched her and um, the work that went, behind, went on behind the scenes. And then as I grew up, um, had some teachers, like you mentioned, that inspired me, that I watched them inspire me and those around me. Um, and it just felt like since I was very young, that was what I was gonna do when I grew up. Um, and so now that I'm in education, I'm, I am an educator. I do it because I love to watch children learn how to read and learn strategies to solve math problems. Um, in first grade, it's just um, so exciting to see their, the growth from the beginning of the year to the end of the year because it's so drastic, it's so dramatic, and sometimes it, it may happen overnight. Um, you know, a kid is struggling one day and then comes in and is able to sound out and read words and, and builds confidence. And it's so exciting to watch a kid have that kind of aha moment. You know, uh, my grandchildren, I see that now. I watch them and see just from one week to the next week, how fast, yes, once yeah. they get that start of learning to read, how fast they go yeah. just picking up things. It's right. amazing to me. Uh, uh, Jessica, how about you? Um, well, I initially did, I did not go into education. When I went to college, uh, I wanted to be a nurse. I wanted to help people. Um, and then throughout college, I graduated with a bachelor's in psychology. Again, I just, I wanted to help people. So I was going to be a counselor, um, struggled to find a counseling position opened in Shreveport. I started subbing at Donnie Bickham back in 2018. And in 2019, the spring of 2019, 
a um, teacher had moved on to a different administrative position. And so I stepped in as a long-term sub and I kind of just found my niche. I kind of just found where I belonged and being able to help those children and being able to share my passion, which is science, with them. And not only that, but build relationships um, on a more personal level with those students. So this will be good to have a kind of little dis discussion about the different ways people get to teaching. So. Mm -hmm. I was at a community neighborhood uh, night out, uh, I think mm -hmm. it was a couple of days ago, mm -hmm. and was talking to a guy who was a uh, math teacher at, uh, I think, Fair Park. And, uh, and he was telling me he was a, uh, a, like a PhD in science, uh, mm -hmm. and just decided he wanted to do something different, and now he's teaching middle school, school science. Uh, uh, at Fair Park, but um, just I'd like for y'all thoughts about alternate certification, those kind of things, where we're going to get the teaching workforce of the future, because it seems to be that it's difficult to find teachers mm -hmm. for for uh, for schools. What what are your thoughts? What are y'all's thoughts? Well, personally, um, here in our area, we have many. Um, alternative teaching certification programs. Right here in Caddo Parish, we have Caddo Teaching Academy, um, and that takes in any person that has a college bachelor's degree, um, and I even think they're accepting those with associate's degrees. Um, and so you go through this program while you're in the classroom, so you're kind of learning as you're going. Um, and you have people from the CTA come in and observe you and give you so much support um, and you kind of learn how to be a teacher as you're in the program rather than going to a four-year college and sitting in the classroom learning all about what teachers do and then going and doing it. Um, and then for me, I went through iTeach Louisiana. Um, and so it took me about a year and a half and um, I was able to teach while getting my certification. I learned a lot during those first two years. And I mean, I've only been teaching for five years and I learn something new every single year. You know, I was just thinking about your psychology background mm -hmm. and is teaching today, especially with the mental health challenges mm -hmm. that so many kids have, I mean, do you all have to be acutely aware of how children are feeling and thinking and feeling about themselves? Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's so much more than just teaching the subject sure. in the book, but it's it's uh, helping nurture the whole child? Absolutely, and we've even incorporated some curriculum that has to do with mental health and you know how, how we're feeling and how do I deal with the emotions that I'm feeling. Um, and so um, that's part of something we do weekly um, in a class, even in first grade, um, and I'm sure all the way through, yes. um, all these, these needs are being addressed because it is such a crisis right now in, in our society, the mental health aspect of it. So um, we're definitely addressing those issues. Absolutely, um, especially you know in middle school and uh, especially in Caddo Parish, you know we have a lot of students with a, a vast background. Um, they all come from different places and they all are dealing with different things when they walk in our doors. Um, so the socio-emotional climate within schools is very, very important 
to teachers and that is why first and foremost we try to build relationships with those students and with their guardians um, it's not just about teaching curriculum let me, let me get back and uh, ask you a question about we're talking a little bit about great teachers and how they impacted our lives let me ask you what teacher for mm -hmm. each one of you what teacher or a couple of teachers had this great impact on you and why um, a couple stick out to me I had a Miss Taylor in middle school she was my math teacher and I felt like she was um, a teacher that allowed us to get up out of our seats um, and, and move around the classroom and um, uh, get up and you know experiment with what, whatever we were working on um, and it just felt like a fun class as opposed to you got to stay in your seat and, and you know do these math problems um, and then another one was a, a high school English teacher um, and uh, her name was uh, actually two there Miss McGuire Miss Reagan and they both were um, great teachers but I fell in love with literature based on the, what those two teachers taught me and so I'm a, a avid reader now um, and those those had a big impact on what I wanted to do then well you know I bet I'll bet your class people are up and around moving around they are <laughs> they are okay um, mine both come from high school I went to Northwood High School in North Shreveport so it's nice to be teaching in that community as well um, one teacher that stood out to me that just had an immense impact on me, not just as a teacher, but she was also my dance line coach is uh, Sandy Heron. Um, she taught me in biology. She coached me on Falcon Line at Northwood. She didn't just make me fall in love with science with how she taught and how rigorous she was. She taught me how to be a better communicator. She taught me how to be a better leader. Um, and she taught me how to just be the person that I am without apologizing for it. And so I have to thank her a lot for the way that I am and why I am a science teacher and how I teach now. That's very interesting. What, what makes a great teacher? Hmm. What makes a great teacher? <laughs> I think that a teacher who accepts every child who walks in their door makes a good teacher. It doesn't matter if you know every single thing about the subject that you are teaching, but if you know everything that you can know about the children that you are teaching, it definitely makes a difference. They are able to see that you see them. They're not just a statistic. They're not just another face, another year. They're people. Yeah, I would, I would just say great teachers look very different. My teaching style may be very different than how she teaches mm -hmm. in a classroom, but we can both be great teachers. Um, I, I just feel like if you're meeting the needs of the students in your classroom, mm -hmm. addressing what, what they are missing, what they need to learn mm -hmm. in, that, in that grade level, then you are doing a great job. Here's something I know that you, the reasons that somebody asked and said that you were a great teacher and we should talk to you. Uh, would be uh, this issue of being able to to be with children just where they are. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, oftentimes I can't imagine, personally, I'm a physician, but I can't imagine having 25, 30 children, all of them a little bit different, mm -hmm. some of them 
really, really fast learners, some of them not so fast learners. How do y'all do that? How do you meet the children where they are? How do you do it? Well, uh, we, we address the majority of the group with, some, with core curriculum. We, we meet the needs, the, the average student is getting what they need in the core curriculum. And then we spend a lot of time analyzing the data um, of where some holes may be in their learning in the past. And we um, are then pulling those students into a small group kind of setting, right? maybe five or six students at a time, and trying to address those needs um, to try to catch them back up to where the majority of the students are in the classroom. Um, and so that, that's, you know, on the educational, that's how you're trying to meet all the needs in the classroom. And on top of that, then the, the really quick, the ones that learn real, really quickly, you're trying to push them, trying to give them things to challenge them and um, keep them attentive and keep them, um, you know, curious so that they can, uh, they can, they're growing too, so. Yeah. So how do you find, how do you find out about the needs? How do okay. you know? Um, so we give some assessments at the beginning of the year. It would be a reading and a math assessment. And that gives us a good idea of what they're retaining from the previous year. Um, and then we sit down and do a lot of um, analyzing of that data, who answered these questions correctly, who missed this question. Um, and you know, studying that, that data, and then we get back into our classroom and we know these are the, you know, this is the handful of students that really struggled with. And in my classroom, it may be, you know, counting. They may not be able to count yet. And so I'm going to pull those kids into a small group setting and work, we may work a week, we may need to work two or three weeks on counting to see if we can catch them up to where everybody else is. So it's a lot of data analysis. And so then at the end of each nine weeks, we're also giving another assessment to see if some of those have caught up. Did they learn what I was teaching in the core curriculum? Do I need to then change the people I'm, I'm meeting in small group? Jessica, well, how about at the middle school uh, level? Same goes for middle school. Um, you know, in middle school, they have six classes. They have four core classes, a gym class, and an elective. And especially since the um, pandemic, you you get a lot of students in middle school that aren't reading on grade level, that aren't computation or computating on grade level. Um, and so just like uh, Ms. Nettles was saying, you have a lot of data that you have to collect at the beginning of the year and then throughout the year you've got all of these benchmark assessments to see, okay, are they catching up? Are they falling further behind? And then you move forward from there. Um, you know, they have a lot of, in math and ELA, you have a lot of small group and different things like that. Whereas, you know, science and social studies, it, it's a task. I mean, in the short amount of time that we have those kids, it's a task to make sure that the students that are on grade level are being challenged and being able to move forward. And the students who aren't on grade level are getting pulled for small groups and are getting that extra time that they need. I'm interested in um, hearing about parent engagement. I love to tell the story that when my son, my first child up for preschool, I volunteered to be room mother and got a rejection letter 
because they had more <laughs> mothers wow. volunteer than they allowed us. Oh, I didn't know you could be rejected for room mother. <laughs> yes. But I know it, that you now we have a lot of single parent households mm -hmm. and moms are working and they're mm -hmm. really busy. How do you all engage with and get parents involved in education, especially those who are who have so little time and are, are spending so many hours just trying to keep food on the table? Right. Um, so for me, uh, I mean, we've got many different uh, ways that we can get in contact with parents and keep them updated. You know, we've got, of course, social media, and um, we have progress notes and all of those sorts of things. But I mean, in middle school, I mean, I've got a hundred plus kids that <laughs> I have. And so trying to keep in contact with all of those parents, if they don't reach out to me, I try to make a point to reach out to them. But I, I kind of feel like a parent to a lot of the kids that I teach, you know, mm -hmm. I check their grades and not just my class, but their other classes and try to get them the tutoring that they need or the extra help that they need, the support that they need or the challenges that they need to be successful. Um, so it's kind of, it's, it's a task to have parents involved, but the parents that are involved are incredible. And the parents who want to be involved but just can't for whatever reason, their child knows that they're covered on our end. It takes a village and teachers are part of that village. Mm -hmm. So what we saw um, when COVID um, hit that we, we pretty much told parents they couldn't be in the schools, right? We mm -hmm. told them that, that they weren't um, going to come in and, and be able to be involved, you know, whether it be in the cafeteria for a Muffins with Mom, we just had that this morning, um, or in a classroom doing volunteer work because we were just trying to, to keep children safe at that point. But now at this point, we're allowing you know, parents to come back into the, to the school building and they're excited to be there. They mm -hmm. wanna be there. Um, and there we've had um, back to school night, had a huge turnout, muffins with mom this morning. Um, and the parents are excited about being back in a school building and seeing where their kids are and what they're doing and meeting the teacher face to face. Um, and so they're, they're excited about being back there. Let me ask you about principal. Okay. So, uh, and your principal has to be a great principal. They, they wouldn't have elected you to come be here. So I'm gonna assume everybody's got a great principal. What makes a great principal in your mind? What makes a school go? What makes, oftentimes we talk about, it depends on the principal. That's a major uh, part of it. So what makes a great principal in your mind? Well, I have a fairly new principal. This is her third year at my school. Um, as her name is Dr. Elledge, and she came in not afraid to change things. She was, she was okay with rocking the boat and making us get uncomfortable. And so she comes in with high expectations um, of what she expects to see when she walks into a classroom um, and how we manage our time in a classroom. What are we teaching when we have those small groups or when we're teaching core curriculum? She is very involved. Um, she's, she comes in often into our classrooms and she expects us to do hard things. I think what makes a good principal um, or even assistant principal is good leadership. 
um, somebody who is doing what they expect of their teachers, uh, setting good examples for the teachers, the paraprofessionals at the school. Um, and I also think what makes a wonderful principal is supporting the teachers, okay? Because I mean, everybody who's been a principal has been in the classroom at some point or another. Um, and so I think having their support means everything. When you've got the administrations, when they've got your back, then you, you feel invincible. You feel like you can do your job well. Let me ask you about, we talk about, about failing schools. Mm -hmm. We talk in terms of failing schools. I don't know that that's really the right term, mm -hmm. but let's just use it because everybody uses it. Yes. So, um, uh, and it may be because test scores are not as good or, and, and there are a lot of other factors sure. in that. As a society, what should we be doing Okay, as a society, us, our community, uh, in building up those schools and helping in those areas, uh, because that's a lot of where the crime is coming from and poverty is coming from. It's different. So, how do you, how how do y'all see that as uh, how we how we should be dealing better with that? I'm gonna go back to a old phrase: "Don't knock it till you try it." Um, just because they are labeled as a D school or an F school, it does not mean that the staff within that school is not doing their job. It doesn't mean that those students will not be successful in school or even later in life. I mean, we are cultivating students to hone in on not just content knowledge, but life skills. And I don't think that going to a D or an F school is going to change that. Um, you know, at Donnie Bickham, we support each other, teacher-wise, staff-wise, but we support our kids. You know, if a kid comes to me and says, I want to be a lawyer one day, okay, well, you're gonna learn skills in this class to help you do that. You're gonna learn how to seek out a claim and find undeniable evidence to back it up. And so I think that we should be supporting those schools rather than putting them down. Agreed. Um, uh, you know, people that have children in those schools um, man, I just suggest they get open up a book with them, put them in their lap, let's turn off a, a phone or, or an iPad or whatever they're looking at, let's climb up in somebody's lap and read a book. Um, I just think that is crucial for those families that are in these settings um, and they're, they're they, I feel like they have, you know, they're coming without that background knowledge of what they're reading in um, books at home and so that's, you know, an, a perfect opportunity for a parent, grandparent, aunt, uncle, babysitter, daycare to be willing to turn off a, a device and pull somebody up in your lap and let's sit down and read a book, look at pictures, um, sound out some words, that kind of thing. Um, so, so I would say turn off some technology. Mm -hmm. Well, let's let, uh, this has been a great conversation and uh, Certainly, I've learned a lot just listening to, to, to y'all and, and your impact on others. So uh, let me ask you just a couple more questions, kind of more personal okay. questions about uh, your thoughts on something. And this was a hard question, so I'm just going to read it. 
Okay. Uh, what is one thing you want your students to take from your class this year that you hope they'll remember for the rest of their lives? Mm -hmm. I know. I want them to feel loved. I want them to believe that I love them. Um, they're all going to grow. It may not be on level by the end of the first grade, but I want each of those students to know that Ms. Duddles love them. They can come back to my classroom anytime, mm -hmm. that they are welcome in my room any moment, and um, that they are special to me. That's the most important thing I want them to know. Well, you know, and I, I think that happens a lot in schools uh, where the third graders and the fourth mm -hmm. graders go back to their first Absolutely. grade teacher because mm -hmm. that's their first grade teacher, that was yeah. their first teacher. I, I'm going to have to go off of what Ms. Nettles says. I, I agree. Um, I want my students to know that Ms. Herbert loves them. Uh, they're always welcome back in my classroom. I, I have students now that are in high school and when I go to a high school football game they always make a point to come up and say, hey Ms. Herbert, you are my favorite teacher and that just makes my day. I want students to know that no matter where they go in life that they will always have me in their corner. I always want them to be successful, no matter what that is. I, uh, uh, just a couple more questions. So the first question is um, for you to, to tell us why, you're why you stay here in Shreveport. In other words, we have such a, sometimes a negative image of ourselves, a self-image sometimes mm -hmm. in where we live, but you're here, okay, and you chose to be here. So what is it about Shreveport that attracted, or Bozier, Shreveport Bozier, that attracted you to be here and stay here? Um, if you don't live in Shreveport, you don't understand it, but there is a sense of community here. There is a sense of support and there is a sense of pride. We all want our community to turn around. We all want Shreveport to be its best. Um, speaking from somebody who grew up in North Shreveport and now teaching in North Shreveport, there is a sense of pride and there is a sense of community that I knew when I was younger and that is still persistent today. You know, that's really interesting. I'm from North Shreveport, uh, originally from North Shreveport, and that's what I say about North Shreveport everywhere I go. Mm -hmm. I now live in a different part of town but there was a sense of community in the northern part of Parish. I don't think that a lot of people know about, uh, you know, where people are really together on, on mm -hmm. things and have lived in the same place for a long time. Yes. And there's this sense of community there, but. Well, I, I actually don't live in Shreveport. I live outside of the parish, but I travel into Shreveport to teach there. And I just feel like that that's my calling. That's where the Lord has put me and where he wants me to, um, work with students and to um, kind of fill in the gap of what they may be missing in their home life. Um, and so I just, it, it's not crossed my mind that I should be anywhere else. That's where I'm supposed to be. This has been fantastic. And we learned, like I said, learned a lot and appreciate mm -hmm. uh, what you do so much and the impact that you have on the kids in this community and the families of this community. Cause it's not just the child that you're, you're a part of, you're a part of the whole family sure. mm -hmm. uh, in what you mm -hmm. do. And so I can't think of any profession uh, that really impacts others more than yours. And it's, it's wonderful for me to sit here and listen to a couple of great teachers who make such impact on our community. And for me to be able to say thank you uh, to you 
um, uh, you know, for not just me, but I think a lot of people that uh, would love to have the chance to say thank you to you both. Thank you. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you all. All right. And thank you to all of you for joining us for Education Checkup. You can view our other podcast anywhere you listen to them, or you can go to our website at ktbs.com slash podcast. Have a good day, and we'll see you next time on Education Checkup.